probably did hate Mayo. And we thought it was hate at the time because these guys are trying to take away our dreams. The Football Pod Live. Thursday, June 2nd in Castle Bar. Check out otbsports.com forward slash events and get your tickets now. The News Round on Off The Ball. With Gillette for an effortless finish to your day. New Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. Great to have you along this evening. So, busy show. Racing, racing uh, writer Sean McGee is going to tell us about the extraordinary life and times of one Lester Piggott. Racing icon, enigmatic personality, passed away on Sunday. So, Sean McGee will be with us just after eight o'clock. We have former Derry player Conlith Gilligan on the football weekend, not least events in Clonus. And then Olympic world and European gold medalist Kelly Harrington with us on everything from opportunist politicians to why the lure of professionalism and money holds no sway for her. Dan McDonald as well in studio for the football show after nine. Republic of Ireland gearing up for a busy few weeks. 53106, the text number. We are at Off The Ball on Twitter. John Duggan once again with us. Hello, John. Joe, how are you doing? And Arthur. And Arthur O'Dee. Arthur. So uh, Lester Piggott. It's just so extraordinary, his career. Iconic, and you know your racing, John, in particular. Everybody knows Lester Piggott, but the nitty-gritty of his achievements are just so insane. His riding career lasts 47 years, which is hard enough to get your head around. He rides over 5,000 winners around the world, 4,500 of those in the UK. So his very first race is in April 1948, and his first winner is that same year. He's 12 years old. Now, these days you have to be 16 or over to race, but he was 12 in 1948 and he was born into a family of uh, racing people going back six generations. His grandfather won the Grand National three times, for instance. So there was something in the blood for sure. So wins his first race, age 12. Then he wins his first derby. He wins nine of them in total. Wins his first derby, aged 18 in 1954 and there was an early sign of his uh, laconic ways because his response to winning the derby aged 18 was it's just another race so he wins that nine times across his career and right the way through it's just uh, roller coasters so he spends the year in prison for tax evasion in the late 80s and he has retired from racing at that stage and then makes this miraculous uh, return and wins the Breeders' Cup Mile at Belmont in 1990 aged 54 and he wins his 30th English Classic, the 2000 Guineas, in 1992, 11 times champion jockey, retires in 1995, a career lasting 47 years. Mad. Yeah, Lester was uh, an icon, really. You think about the greatest trainer of all time was Vincent O'Brien, and the man he partnered with for a huge amount of his success was Lester Piggott. Mm. Um, so you wouldn't have... Coolmore now, the top reading operation around the world, or Aidan O'Brien, no relation to Vincent, um, without the roots of the dominance that became apparent when Vincent trained, what, six winners at the Derby. Like, Vincent O'Brien was a jumps trainer, first of all. He won the Grand National three times in the 50s with three different horses. Uh, he had the champion hurdle, the champion chase. So the whole Cheltenham thing came out of Vincent O'Brien. Mm. Uh, but then Vincent went to the flat. John Magnier um, was his son-in-law and Robert Sangster, this British businessman. And Lester then wrote, started writing for them mm. and it was they were unbeatable. So horses like, um, is it the Minstrel in 1977 won the Derby. Uh, they had Nijinsky, probably one of the most famous horses of all time. 
the only horse to ever win the 2000 guineas which is the mile at Newmarket the Derby a mile and a half at Epsom and then the St. Ledger which is a mile and six furlongs at Doncaster so you're, you're talking about a thoroughbred that would have to have um, huge amount of versatility to be able to run over those varying distances and win mm. and, and Leicester had a very unique style he was five foot eight he was quite very high in the saddle um, powerful uh, was all about getting the horse balanced and uh, an enigmatic character as he said um, was partially deaf and had a speech impediment and um, didn't say a lot uh, did a lot of his talking on the race course and it was brevity was I think the essence of a lot of his communication yeah Arthur was going through the archives so here we are 1950 so we reckon that would make Piggott 14. 14. And he's already had his first winner, age 12, and he's embarking on what will be this legendary career. So here we are, there's another world. Riding on the crest of a wave is 14-year-old Lester Pickett, son of trainer Keith Pickett. Famous jockey in his time, Keith knows Lester is really only just beginning. And pleased as he is, he's more concerned with his son's future. By getting out of the apprentice class so young, he's made no record. Frank Wooten did as well, but he's shown he's a born jockey. Besides riding and stable work, Lester has to get in his education too. Well, perhaps that is part of his education. There's a big future ahead of him, though things will be a little harder now he's lost the allowance. Wise home guidance will see he goes the right way. Lester will always remember where he won his 40th victory. It was at Leicester. A great day for father and son. Long may they enjoy success. There we go. Hugh McIlvaney has a line on him. When he walked into Paddock before the Derby, it was like seeing Brando on the screen. You couldn't look at anybody else. There was a kind of aloofness, almost an aura of superiority. Certainly a man apart is a line McIlvaney had on him. And there is something about a jockey when they're so gaunt and chiselled and the cheekbones <laughs> are jutting out and it gives them a certain matinee appearance and a certain tough appearance. And he was... As you mentioned, tall, five foot seven for a jockey, and not least in the fifties, that was uh, significantly tall for a jockey. His natural weight, I was reading in the fifties, was ten stone seven, but he rode at eight stone seven, and he managed to keep riding eight stone seven right through until the nineties. So, in effect, starved himself. I think they say his diet was a glass of champagne and a cigar. It <laughs> <laughs> is, and had a, 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 a sweatsuit, like a plastic kind of a onesie. And he would drive to the races in this onesie and keep the weight off that way. Well, it was, he was an addict. A lot of these jockeys are. All he knew was horse racing. All he wanted to be was a jockey. That's what he wanted to do. There was an interview in 1970, which The Guardian uh, have on their website, mm. which was done by um, a, a writer called Kenneth Harris, who's subsequently passed away. And he actually got Lester to open up a bit. Right. Which was uh, interesting. I'll just read a bit of it out here. Um, he was asked about horses and men what strikes you looking back at them over the years there's two sides to a horse if the natural state of speed is what keeps him alive if there's danger he runs but he lives in the herd and even when he's running away from danger he doesn't like to be first he likes to be in the middle of the herd so in racing in one way you're taking the horse back to his nature and in another way you're training him and riding him to do something different from what nature intended I think it's what gives them their character because horses are very interesting there's no two alike and of course, nature taught a horse to run, but not to be ridden. So there's a relationship between the horse and the man on his back. And he was asked about human nature. Well, people on their own are different from people in crowds. People on their own are all right, but in crowds, something comes over them. 
They just want to be on the winner. You're at a damn good race and you get beaten by Shorthead. And when you thought you'd be lucky to get him in three lengths of the leader, you get booed. You make a mistake in the race, get shut in, your horse does something silly or you're unlucky. And you win by Shorthead when you should have won by length and a half. And they clap. It's not your riding, it's whether you win or lose. But I don't pay much attention. I think you only pay attention if you care about what people think of you. And you only care if you think a lot about yourself. I don't think much about myself. I think about racing. I don't brood about how I look to other people. I ride as well as I can and they can clap or boo. It's all the same to me. Good attitude. Good attitude. So uh, we're talking Lester Pickett after 8 o'clock. Sean McGee's written several books with him and knows him very well and he's going to join us and speak about him so that'll be interesting and Sean McGee was writing in The Guardian about him this week and uh, he said he knew that uh, Lester must have really liked him because Lester had told somebody who had recounted to Sean McGee that Lester said you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know so Two thumbs up. What's the normal longevity for an even an elite level jockey? I mean the flat guys can go on a long time but 47 years pushing it isn't it? It is pushing it. Um, like in jumps, obviously, there's much more falls in flat. If you fall in the flat, it's very, very dangerous. Okay. But uh, we're talking we're talking like Kieran Fallon went up to, what, nearly 50. Mm. Uh, Frankie at the moment is in his early 50s and he's still riding at the top of his game. So, And like, does the technique or skill or anything change? Has it changed that much? Like, you know, in every other sport, you couldn't compare, say, being a footballer in the now to being in the 1970s yeah. or 80s but is it more or less still just I appreciate he's not you know. I think a lot of it is repetition um, and I think that a lot of it obviously the reason why they're older is probably because they're fitter and they're um, you know, looking after themselves more uh, it's funny I was out with a group of flat jockeys there um, when there was a race meeting on there not too long ago they were all having a drink I know a couple of them and like they have a tough they really have a tough because they're not at their natural weight mm. and there, there is a there's a kind of a what's the word a denial a denial every day of just basic things that most normal people do mm. and there and there's probably a degree of um, euphoria in that um, but then they're in a world where it's such a thrill what I would recommend to anybody to do is go on YouTube and look at the jockey cam for flat okay. racing and for jumps racing because that will show you that it, it, it is like nothing like what you w- would do when you watch the race on TV or when you watch it in, at, a, at a race course. You just see how they have to judge the pace of this thing and they have to keep the horse balanced and a flat racing, like even Leicester would talk about Epsom which will hold the derby on Saturday which was first run in 1780 which is just absolutely remarkable statistic <laughs> yeah. um, how difficult it is to ride a, a race course like Epsom when you're going uphill for the first couple of furlongs and then you're hurtling downhill to Tottenham Corner and then they hear the crowds and then you got to you know position your horse to try and win the, the biggest race in yeah. the world so um, has it changed much Arthur? I don't really think it has I think a lot of it is natural talent and a lot of it is um, the relationship is, as Lester said between the horse and the, the jockey like Ryan Moore the flat jockey at the moment is head and shoulders above everybody else I think a lot of it is like the same with the case of Ruby over jumps a lot of that is knowing the pace of a race and the timing okay well Sean McGee with us after 8 o'clock it'll be a piece worth listening to I suspect and I was reading as well I mean you mentioned the relationship with Vincent O'Brien. It seems Piggott was a pioneer in that he was with Noel Merlis, the trainer, and then he said, actually, sod this, I'm going to go freelance, which really wasn't the done thing. And certainly jockeys didn't have employment courtesy of owners. It was very much via a trainer. But he started working with Sangster, you mentioned, and that was uh, pioneering. And so it proved very, very lucrative. And I was just uh, reading when he went to prison, 
in the late 80s. His fortune in the late 80s was 20 million sterling. Wow. <laughs> Allowing for inflation, that's knocking on 50 these days. That's a hell of a fortune to have acquired. So Sean McGee with us after eight o'clock. We should start the news round. It is brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And you are starting, John, with news of Keith Earls. Yes, and the versatile Limerick uh, rugby player has penned a contract extension with the RFU until the end of the World Cup in France next year. So he's 34 years of age. He's won 96 caps for Ireland, scoring 34 tries. His debut was back in November 2008 against Canada. He has scored 62 tries and 192 appearances for Munster. So he missed this year's Six Nations because of injury, but... He obviously can fill a lot of positions and the RFU have given a vote of confidence in him. Good. We are big Keith Earls fans. Would quite like him to get four more caps and get to 100. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, yeah, yeah. I think he will as well. He should do, shouldn't he? He should. Yeah. Bit of luck. November yeah, Internationals, yeah. Summer Tour if he goes on yeah, it. Even, even the shoulder games that, say like the third game in the November Internationals. Oh, put him year. on. Yeah. <laughs> put him on. That was a moment. Uh, well, I, I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago and I was asking him about getting to 100 and he said, genuinely, 100%, I'm not just saying it, it doesn't bother me if I don't get to 100 so he was lying, obviously, and uh, <laughs> yeah. we do hope he gets there. So Keith Earls through until the World Cup in 23. The Casement Park situation, I mean, I feel like this has been a part of Newsrounds for too many years at this stage. OK, well, today, a High Court judge in Northern Ireland, uh, Mr Justice Humphreys, said that the former infrastructure minister, Nicola Mannon, was entitled to approve planning permission for Casement Park in 2021 without referring the matter to the Northern Ireland executive, although she did consult her fellow ministers. So the objection to the planning permission, which was brought by residents, associations in West Belfast, has failed. So it is green light, it seems, for 34,500 seater stadium. Uh, the hopes are that it will be built between 2023 and 2025. We do know that it is a potential host venue for the European Championship in 2028. Maybe that might precipitate it being done mm. uh, but funding will be an issue I think 77 million was the initial outlay but I, I'd expect it would be costing a lot more of that we all know with our own stadiums in this country that mm. there's the initial price and then there's the final price and they're often very different between the two of them Yes there's a National Children's Hospital uh, inflation which seems to happen with these things so Republic of Ireland continuing their build up busy period Dan McDonald will be in on the football show yeah, and talking points, as I said to you yesterday on the show, Joe, will be uh, when we see the matches, I think. Armenia on Saturday in Yerevan, followed by games against Ukraine and Scotland. Now, Ender Stevens has been, you know, unlucky with injuries and he hasn't been really part of the picture of late with the Republic of Ireland, but he's back in the squad this week and he detects a good vibe among the panel. You can really see the progression in how we've played over the last few games. You look at the Belgium game and that, and we're really competitive in the way that we're playing, and the proof is kind of starting to come through, and we're scoring goals. We've scored a lot of goals over the last few games, and, and our record, I think we're unbeaten in a, few, in a good few games, so it's, uh, it's all positive. We just want to take that momentum that we have and carry it forward. There's an opportunity here to go in as a second seed if you win the group, so that's our aim, and, and that's what we've got to be looking forward to. It's texting. I saw Leicester Piggott race in 1990 at Limerick Junction. My dad brought me to see him as it was his first race back in the saddle after he had come out of retirement. Still have a viv vivid memory of the day, more because grown men were like kids that day uh, watching him. That's a nice memory there from uh, Texter. It's now called Tipperary, by the way, Limerick Junction. <laughs> okay. Is it? I was wondering. <laughs> so, um, many, many a time I spent at the train station there and uh, race course right beside it. So Tipperary was Limerick Junction. Okay, didn't know that. Uh, needless to say, you've worked at a Tottenham story into the proceedings. Uh, yeah, obviously, because um, I won't be on this again. 
for a while, I'd say. Uh, so another indication that Antonio Conte is staying at Spurs uh, is the acquisition today of Ivan Perisic, the 33-year-old Croatian international on a free. They worked together at Inter Milan. He scored eight goals and 35 appearances for Inter last season. Scored at a World Cup final. Uh, has won a Champions League with Bayern Munich. Has had a, a kind of, I suppose, a roving career. Wolfsburg, Borussia Dortmund, Bayern, Inter. He's a quality player. He is. He's oh. just another excellent player to have. Yeah at your fingertips if needed mightn't play all the games but no very clever signing Antonio Conte is a good manager you know I mean I know Manchester United didn't think <laughs> but not bad has a chance we're lucky we're lucky and it's, this is ready made stuff this is not okay this is 18 year old in three years no. time might be something no this is Conte I want in. to win trophies now Yeah. back me give me 150 million which they have and let's see who we can get what are they paying for him nothing it's free ah for God's sake shrewd and again, this is the Conte effect because Perisic would have been looking around. Oh, Conte's in for me. Yeah, can yeah, trust you. Yeah, we'll work yeah, with we him. work together. Yeah. Sold. It's it's the lure of London. It's the lure of Champions League football. It's the lure of this is the, I, I I want to play for this manager. You see, Harry Kane. You know, Harry Kane now will be happy to to hit the ground running. I expect he will hit the ground running because he hasn't done that. He didn't do that last season, mm. and he's got England to look forward to in in November. So how excited are you? I'm excited. Um, I'm as excited as I've been probably since the Pochettino because uh, there is a GIF I put out every time I see Spurs where you're throwing the, the TV out the hotel room window. Um, <laughs> that's how I generally feel about it. They're the most infuriating sports team to follow and it's been 36 years like that but we all have you know, our crosses to bear. Um, but I'm, 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 I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm more excited than to be a Spurs fan than anybody who's probably an Arsenal fan. Um, and the boot in. You have three, you have three, I have three teams in my life. I, 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 Arthur, I don't know what, you know, Sligo... Is obviously a team. I don't know if you don't bring me into it. You, you, what other teams? <laughs> three teams is enough. It's Clare Hurling, it's Dublin football, and it's Tottenham. And um, all of all three are not doing too badly at the moment. Don't know about you, Joe. It's Clare football. Yeah, we're going great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you say about Saturday from a Clare point of view. They have been a touch loose in defence, but much better in attack, which is a real inverse of Clare traditionally. And who better than the dubs to make you look very foolish for being a bit loose? So I don't know. Um, there, it was quite something at half time to see Glenn Ryan and Anthony Rainbow. Yeah, legends. These legends having a conversation. And you just know they were saying, what the hell are we going to do here? Yeah. Because if the dubs score 10, this is going to be about the worst ankle there football. And I suppose the dubs, even the dubs were like, well, this is just yeah. a bit silly now. So they, they dropped down to third gear. It so had the air of that. It had the feel of something that was going to be record-breaking. Or certainly yeah. in modern memory. It just it was like, oh my God, how many can they go with? I always like the idea of what if they finish up with more goals than points? Are you, <laughs> are you invested in this? Talk? Are you excited now about the Leitrim game? Can <laughs> you see it in my face? No. Uh, I, like, I like it in principle, but am I interested? No, no, not, okay. not overly. I mean, Isn't there a fair bit of that with the Talchin Cup? People like it in principle, but they're yeah. not actually watching okay. it. You know what Do you mean? not it's think? Not, it's hard to watch. It's not going to be anywhere. I won't be in Sly. I won't be in Leitrim. I won't be in Leitrim again. I'll be working. So it's kind of like, well, you really have to go out of your way to watch it. And I, a lot of what I suppose with these things with sport, like we all do, like you don't want to necessarily just be watching it on your own. You want to have that sort of community feel around it. Yeah. And even that you go on to Twitter or whatever and people are talking about it. Yeah. And like, forget Tolshin Cup. I remember watching, only a few weeks ago, watching Limerick Waterford. And the fact that it wasn't on, say, RT Free to Air, it really brought the reduction. Britain, the game was perfect. It was great. The coverage was perfect. I had no problem with anything like that. But you go on to Twitter or whatever, and there's just not as many people talking about it, engaged with it, because they're not watching. 
because you do have to go out of your way that bit more to watch it. Where are the Talchin Cup games on? I presume they're available to stream at times, are they? One of them, I think, is on GA Go this yeah. weekend. Okay. It's just like, but that, look, that's not... Because the highlights don't do enough no. to get you no. interest. You, you couldn't watch the highlights on a Sunday evening and come away with any strong opinions or thoughts. It's a quick report. It's two minutes. Understandably so, by yeah, the way. Yeah, you, you, you couldn't be putting that on television either. You can't, you can't satisfy everyone all the time. It, it can't be like that. No, well, the Sunday games are on for eight hours otherwise. Yeah, I, look. Is there an argument you should put a Talisman Cup game on instead of the Leinster football final? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I mean, I think you have to show the Leinster football final. But in hindsight... Like, I'm sure it will be. Like, I remember sitting down the day oof, when the league's finished and it was, it was a t- two day, so the Saturday, say, watching the finals from Division 4 and Division 3 in a practically empty Crow Park at that point. But they were very compelling games to watch. So I have no doubt that when it comes down to the Talchin Cup, say, semi-final final, yeah. there'd be compelling games to watch because it is, there's something, no more than, I know people giving out about Derry Donegal, but you, you're still you're not turning that off because you know what's on the line. Mm. And I do think whoever gets to the final of the Talchin Cup will be invested in it enough. Yeah. It's going to matter. Those players will have put enough into it, like four or five rounds. But at this point, no, John. Like if they won or lost the weekend, you'd be kind of disappointed that they lost. But like, yeah. If it, we were to do like a state of the nation, the football championship thus far, what would you say about it, John? Completely unsatisfactory. Yeah, that's a bit flat, huh? I, I, I mean, but that was I, the I, way. But I'm, 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 I'm military in my views on, on the whole thing, that the provinces are not fit for purpose. I know Derry was a great story and everything, um, but I do think there should be a league championship. I, I would love to see Division 4 final, Division 3 final, Division 2 final, Division 1 final overall over one weekend. Uh, like a like a super weekend of GA football and holiday maybe in August. Yeah, and or like and but actually to give the nation a day off on the Monday, like an actual um, extravaganza, a festival of football um, with Croke Park finals for Division Four, and that really manages you win a trophy on a Friday night. You'd have like maybe Division Two on the three and two Saturday on the Sunday on the Saturday double header, and then on the Sunday you've the All Ireland final, which really isn't that preposterous. Like it's not. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's well doable. It's, well, you, could, you could envision that happening where it is, because it would be... So, I know you don't want to exclude people, and not everyone's interested in sport, but not everyone's interested in St. Patrick's Day Parade either. <laughs> we have a day off, Like you know. a Division 4 final, Friday night, late August, you know, they've been playing all summer, like going in good weather, home and away, win a trophy, it's on TV, they get promoted, they're in the, maybe in Division 3, and these things then matter. Am I the only one I seem to be? who wonders about the Friday night thing as being a bit unfair on these amateurs who already have to take so much annual leave and give up so much of their time and then you're now saying to them oh you have to get another day off work on the Friday and some of them then probably don't want to work necessarily on the Thursday yeah. and then some some might just not be able to get the time off work you know and so it's not fair to ask them to play a final on a Friday after working all day potentially now I know it's easy to say ah oh, come on it'll be fine let's just do it but I don't know I think we ask enough of them already some yeah. of them might get 20 days annual leave a year and it's a a yeah, big enough that, that's that's fine. I'm just I'm just talking about a buzz, creating a buzz. Sure. Um, the hurling championship, on the other hand, has been has been good, enjoyable. Yeah. Box office <laughs> every year. <laughs> yeah. Well, the round robin is just such a success. I mean, it's great. So French Open this evening is yeah. box office as well. It is Nadal and Djokovic soon. That's the big Kahuna burger of sport today. Um, Alexander Zverev is through. He's just beaten Carlos Alcaraz in four sets in their quarterfinals. So. Nadal and Djokovic in the last eight. So Djokovic world number one. We know he wasn't in Australia. That feels like, I don't know, three years ago. Djokovic was booed in his last round. Was he? Yeah. Roundly booed. 
by those at Roland Garros. Yeah, but they're a funny bunch. So is he. <laughs> um, Rafa, 13-time winner at Roland Garros. Coco Goff, coming of age into the semis of the ladies' singles. What age is Coco these 18 days? years of age. <laughs> oh, my God. She's going to feel like Lester Piggott when she's retired. <laughs> Sloane Stevens, she beat her in straight sets. She'll now play Martina Trevisan in the semifinals. That's what's going on there. Sergio Perez has signed a new two-year deal with Red Bull. So he won last Sunday's Monaco Grand Prix. Bit of juice in that title race at the moment in Formula 1. Not much between Max Verstappen, his teammate Perez, and Charles Leclerc in the standings. Don't think Lewis Hamilton will be part of the conversation, but good to see that. Um, what else do we have going on? A bit of other news. Ronan Callagher's out of the Leinster game the weekend. Got a shoulder problem. Mm. Johnny Sexton will have his ankle problem assessed in the lead-up to Saturday's match. Did you see the latest attendees to the J.P. McManus? <laughs> My boy's there, Patrick Cantley. Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler. Jordan Spieth. This is like the fifth best tournament of the year now. This is What's the Live Golf Tour? What's that? <laughs> like if JP wanted to start a rival to the Live Golf Tour, <laughs> it looks like he could do just fine. It's ridiculous. Can um, we not get one of these at the Irish Open? We need, we need to get merch like this. Oh, well. Yeah, Flashing a Masters t-shirt. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Which was made, by the way, in Vietnam. Was it? Yeah. Right. Interesting. Um, can we not get one of these lads to the Irish Open? Well, what, I know, look, I have so much respect for the host courses like Mount Juliet, all these places, but like, I think Lynx Golf is important if you're like, building or towards the Open, if you have the Irish yeah. Open at that time of the year. Yeah. And we, ha- and we have had the Lynx, like Le Hinge, as you, you were there. That was just such a magical week. That was the one. That was the template. That was a magical yeah. week. Copy and paste. The whole town, the, uh, it, was just, it was just beautiful. Yeah, it was. We are pretty much out of time. Kelly Harrington is on the way very shortly. Arthur, thanks very much with us across the evening. And John Duggan, thanks, John.